You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we, we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Is we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? How about the fucking Hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in to the latest episode of that. SEC podcast presented by my bookie. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. Go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And unfortunately, I'm flying solo on this show. Shane had to work. Nothing wrong. <laughs> I know when he doesn't show up, sometimes it's uh, doom and gloom and something's bad happened. But thankfully, not the case. He'll be back on the next episode. Just his work made it uh, virtually impossible this time. So we give Shane a pass, but you know, I even thought about not even doing this one and waiting for Shane, but we kind of had to do it with the breaking news. We'll just get right into this thing. Florida Gators shut down the program, and my God, I mean, Shane and I joked about it, but you know, the honest truth, I thought we were kind of handling this COVID stuff, and hopefully we still will. I mean, there's no, the shutdown was just for a day, and the Florida Gators announced that, and the funny thing was, they announced they had Five new positives this week, and then all of a sudden they shut down the program, and it just seemed weird. Five cases, you had to shut everything down. Well, uh, not long after they decided to shut down for the day, and this is, of course, Tuesday that they shut down. Hopeful to get back at it at Wednesday, as far as I'm told. We'll see if that's the case. Things may have changed by the time you hear this, but... uh, Let's credit this reporter down there in Gainesville, Peyton Titus. She was the first one to report 19 COVID positives, the Gator football program. And I think this is just players. I don't think it's coaches or staff or anybody in that building. I think it's specifically players. So certainly you hear that number. You understand why they had to hit the pause button for a day. But uh, automatically you start to wonder, what's the fate of this Saturday game against LSU? Like I said, no official word at this point. Maybe things have changed by the time you're hearing this. I'm recording this on Tuesday evening. But according to uh, Frank Fangi of 1010 XL Radio there in Jacksonville, he's saying the plan is to practice on Wednesday and play on Saturday against LSU. So let's hope that's the case. And before you think, well, that's just him being optimistic or whatever, keep in mind the SEC, they've already – uh, you know, we talked about this when they made the ruling, but we're going to keep bringing it up for these circumstances. You need 53 scholarship players to play on Saturday, and they have also mandated among those 53, obviously you got to have a quarterback. You only need one, though. Seven offensive linemen, four defensive linemen. Those are the criteria. 53 players, again, one quarterback, seven offensive linemen, four defensive linemen. So 
hey, if the if Florida's only got 19, and that's probably, I don't know if that's positive tests. I don't know if that's, you know, in the contact tracing and having to quarantine. You could still do it. I mean, Will Muschamp said he could go with 30 guys out and they could play a game. And, of course, you know, the standard 85 scholarship. So if they only got 19 out, well, still, I shouldn't say only 19, but if they got 19 out, they still could theoretically have a roster ready to go on Saturday. It obviously would be a major advantage to LSU, and I think we certainly saw that play out with Vanderbilt, South Carolina, last weekend when they were down to about 55, 56 scholarship players. So you kind of hate to think of it in those terms, but all of a sudden maybe this LSU game is a, a lot more competitive Head on over to my bookie. Put that money on LSU if it happens. If, if it doesn't happen, obviously the, the betting lines will change and everything. But, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how this plays out. Unfortunately, Florida and LSU do not share a common bye week. So if it does get pushed, it's probably going to get pushed just like that Vanderbilt-Missouri game to, what was it, December 12th, I think. Potentially December 19th. I think they've, they've already seen that uh, you know, if you're not playing in the SEC championship game, I think the SEC is going to let you play on that December 19th date as well. But, of course, Florida's hoping to make it to Atlanta. They're still in the running. They still control their own destiny. LSU, not as much, but who knows? They turn around. They might be in that conversation before long. So we're certainly not writing those guys off. But, we, man, it's just uh, let's hope this is the only case. And Texas A&M, who obviously just played Florida, they've released a statement saying – you know, they're aware of it and they're checking everybody. But as of uh, right now, there's no issue at Texas A&M, thank God. So we'll see how that plays out. And how about this? I mean, this is just unfortunate for Missouri. But Eli Drinkwitz just got your first win. And obviously the, the Vanderbilt games got canceled. Your next opponent, guess who? Florida. So who knows? I mean, if, if Florida can't go the next two weeks, I don't know how long it's going to be before Missouri gets a chance to play a football game. So... That's something to think about, too. Hopefully, you know, I'm just spitballing here. Hopefully it doesn't come to that. But, man, it just, uh, just, it's just getting worse there for the situation around the Missouri football program while the product on the field is certainly getting better by the week. All right, so we got a lot of action. Enough of that COVID talk. Kind of hate that we even have to do that. But, hey, we got a lot of games to talk. So uh, let's go around the league. Now let's go now around let's the go league. Around the My, my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, so I'm going to wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think – I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should – we should mix those games up and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why, why don't you – start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys, hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. Let's kick it on down to Rocky Top. That's where we're going to start here and Obviously, Tennessee coming off an embarrassing loss to Georgia. They were in that game for a little bit, but uh, dominated in the second half and just showed that they weren't ready 
not on that elite level as of yet. Now the challenge for Tennessee is rebounding from such a tough loss. Your identity was that offensive line in the ground game. Got totally stifled by the Bulldogs. Can you recapture that against a very tough and physical Kentucky team who they they pride themselves on running the ball and stopping the run too. So different caliber of opponent this week for Tennessee, but still it's going to be a massive challenge. And this is the first time Tennessee's favored in this game. First time in this matchup since the 2016 season. Think about that. That's a crazy stat considering that Tennessee's dominated, but it's not been that way on the betting line heading into these games. And it's only, you know, it's, it opened as a touchdown. It's under that now. So good indication this is going to be a tight ball game where you got two programs that kind of mirror themselves. Quarterbacks at times have issues throwing downfield, completing moderately difficult passes here. You got teams that look, that are run heavy, offensive line, tough physical nose, defensive coaches. Both head coaches were previously defensive coordinators at Florida State. So Jeremy Pruitt even took over from Mark Stoops down there when they won the national championship at FSU. So, you know, there's a lot going on with these two programs that kind of mirror each other. And Tennessee, if they're going to – they're certainly not out of the running for the SEC East race. One loss doesn't do that to you. I mean, if they turn around and beat Kentucky and Georgia loses to Alabama, they're tied once again. So who knows? I mean, this the season's not over. I know Shane – that's probably the real reason he's not on this thing. He's still depressed from Saturday's action. But, hey, the Vols are still in it. And, hey, there's reason for optimism here because something that Jeremy Pruitt hit on last weekend, they were planning to do a Sunday scrimmage. They were going to have the younger players hold a scrimmage. A lot of these guys didn't get enough reps in training camp due to uh, COVID tracing and quarantines and all that. So, I thought this was a very wise move by Tennessee because they certainly need some young playmakers to step up. We saw that against Georgia. So you're getting a lot of these younger guys some reps. Harrison Bailey took every snap in this thing. Now, I saw plenty of Tennessee fans get fired up when they heard that, but doesn't necessarily mean Garantano is sitting on a hot seat there at Tennessee. So that's something that Jeremy Pruitt talks about. Let's kick it over to him. He previews the Kentucky matchup talks a lot about that Sunday scrimmage and Harrison Bailey getting all these reps. He was asked about uh, potentially a quarterback change there, Jarrett Garantano. And then, uh, unfortunately, for Tennessee fans that are eager to see these black uniforms, are not getting them this year for the Kentucky game. Coach Stoops has done a fantastic job there. Uh, they're, they're one of the best teams in the, in, in the conference when it comes to running the football. Um, they do a nice job, very creative. Uh, in the run game, you know, use their quarterback running the football. They have a, a stable of running backs. That a bunch of guys run the ball well there. Uh, they've got an experienced offensive line, you know, defensively. Uh, they've always created issues. Uh, they're, they've, they've been one of the, the best defenses in our league for the uh, last three or four years. Really good in the red area. Created a, um, a lot of blitzing. Uh, um, varieties in coverages there, so you got to you got to do a nice job, and have always done a nice job in special teams. So, Jeremy, I know you got three weeks of film now to study when you're looking at Kentucky, but are they a hard team to kind of get a pulse on when they rush for 408 yards and lose a couple of weeks ago? And this past week, I think they had 157 total yards and won by three touchdowns. 
Well, they play good defense and uh, really probably should be 3-0. and um, If you look at them, I mean, they lost a tough one uh, against Ole Miss. And um, I think we all saw what happened down at Auburn, uh, you know, the play that was reviewed there. But um, very easily could be 3-0. and uh, Have been one of the better teams uh, in our conference for the last several years. Uh, they're committed to running the football. They believe in their plan. They're a physical team uh, that's disciplined. Uh, they play well together. Uh, so it'll be a tremendous challenge for us. Do you think – I know Joey Gatewood got cleared right when Kate did. Do you think you might see more of Joey this week? Is that something you got to prepare for in addition to Terry Wilson? I think they're similar quarterbacks. Um, so I'm, I, I, he played a little bit this past week. So um, we have to be ready for everything. Yeah, Jeremy, I was wondering uh, who stood out in that Sunday scrimmage you guys had and, and how Harrison Bailey looked in that? You know, it was um, it's really good. We I think we took like 49 snaps, um, you know, and, and Harrison took every one of them. So uh, for him, that was really good because he, based off the way our fall camp went, he didn't get a lot of live action. Uh, we just didn't have enough uh, plays to to for him to get in there and get going. Um so it was good for him. It was good for a lot of players, uh, a lot of energy. Uh, so there's a lot of guys that, uh, to me, you know, that kind of stuck out. So we got to continue to do this and uh, give these guys an opportunity to develop. Coach, I realize it's a team effort, but was there any point in the second half where y'all consider making a change of quarterback? And then why or why not on that decision? Well, um, you know, Jared's our quarterback. Uh, He's the, he gives us the best opportunity to have success. Um, you know, when you got first and 20, uh, it, it's tough to make first downs. When you got second and, and 15, it's tough to make first downs. Uh, we didn't do a very good job protecting. We didn't play very fast on the perimeter. Um, you know, so it, it's, it's the way the game goes, right? I played quarterback. When you have a lot of success, a quarterback gets probably too much credit. When you don't have success, quarterback probably gets too much blame. Uh, you know, there's offensively our struggle Saturday or not because of one independent person. Uh, it was a team effort. Uh, we understand that. Uh, starts with us as coaches uh, to put our guys in a better position to have success. And then – uh, from a player standpoint, we got to own it and we've got to do a better job executing. Yeah, Jeremy, before the season, you said that you guys might wear black jerseys and then auction them off after the game to support local organizations. Is that still the plan for this Kentucky game or is that something later in the season that you guys are looking at now? Well, you know what? I learned a really good lesson as a head football coach. Um, you know, there's contracts within the people that do our um, – um, I guess our, the, the apparel that we wear. Uh, and, um, you know, I, it's something that our players and our staff want to do. Uh, it's something that we're not going to be able to do uh, from, a stand, from a standpoint, from, con, uh, from a contract. Uh, but we're going to find ways uh, within our organization to raise money uh, to support um, um, local institutions um so uh, we're not going to be able to do it this game but um you know nike guaranteed us that uh from now on that we would be able to have black jerseys black uniforms and uh it's something that we've worked hard um 
within our organization and our administration to get done. All right. So based on what Pruitt had to say there, you know, I think it's going to be status quo for the time being at the quarterback position because I really do believe that uh, going into this SEC grind, how many coaches have we played the clip where, you know, they say this is a NFL-type schedule. And I understand everybody gets excited about the freshman quarterbacks, but just throwing them, throwing them to the wolves if you're doing that, in my opinion, unless a guy's really locked in. Hell, even the kid at Alabama, Bryce Young, how many people were hyping him up? He's not even – seen the field this year and that's number one overall player I think 247 had him number one overall player in the nation so that tells you that Saban and them don't think it's wise to put a young guy out there I think of course Mac Jones is tearing it up but uh, yeah it's just not it's not an ideal situation for an inexperienced quarterback that's never seen the college field and based on uh, you know Tennessee's backups we've not really seen enough from J.T. Shroud or Brian Mowers, kind of careless with the ball. I think they have to go with Garantano the rest of the way, and I think he'll be able to re- redeem himself. Uh, he's never thrown an interception against Kentucky. He's led some big wins against the Wildcats, so that's something to think about going into this matchup. He's had some of his better games against the Wildcats, and that may, again, play itself out this weekend. All right, jumping down to the other side of this one, let's go to Lexington. <laughs> Where now Kentucky's got some momentum, just whipped the hell out of Mississippi State thanks to that defense returning to form. They got the running game going. They got to get Terry Wilson going, though. If they're going to beat a team like Tennessee, you're just not going to be able. They'll have success on the ground, but they're not going to be able to dominate a defense like Tennessee. We saw that last year with everything Lynn Bowden was able to do and taking care of average defenses. I mean, Georgia shut them out. Tennessee held them to 13 points, I believe. And I think this is even better Tennessee defense. So Tucky has got to get some balance in this attack. That's something Eddie Grand has kind of hit on here on Tuesday. But uh, and this is a chance here for Kentucky. I know they don't have much luck against the Vols, but they really need this one. Even though Pruitt here is saying they should be 3-0. Well, that's good and well, but the real record's 1-2. and And they got Georgia after the Tennessee game, you can't like Kentucky's odds against Georgia the way they're playing. So if you don't beat Tech Tennessee, I mean, you're staring one and four in the face. Whereas if you go and beat Tennessee on the road, upset them, hell, you got the same record as the Vols. And maybe you do got a little bit more momentum going into that Georgia game. And maybe Georgia's coming off a tough physical loss to Alabama. Maybe they're not ready for Kentucky who will be another tough physical team. So I think this game is just hugely important for Kentucky's season. And if they want to prove that they're for real, I know I'm trying not to downplay too much what they did against Mississippi State, but, I mean, my God, K.J. Costello's turning it over every other possession. The true freshman comes in, he's throwing interceptions. You have six turnovers, you're going to win the game. And this is also a, a unique kind of flip for the Kentucky defense that played so well. Drop an eight in the zone, just have three men on the line of scrimmage. You ain't going to see that's going to be that the exact opposite against Tennessee. They're probably going to have eight men in the box and three men back in coverage because Tennessee is going to run it 50 times a game, whereas Mississippi State's going to throw it 60 times a game. So it's just 
180 in preparation. How does that factor into this game? That's something to think about as well. But uh, let's kick it over to Mark Stoops, who uh, he talked about how important the Tennessee series is to Kentucky, his team, his fans, and all that, on Jarrett Garantano. It's funny how all these uh, SEC coaches seem to really love Garantano, yet Shane is still, (laughs) he's ready to get him out the door on Tennessee's offensive line. And then um, he talked about Kentucky being able to get so many interceptions. I'm sure that made uh, Mark Stoops, the defensive-minded coach, extremely proud last weekend. Hey, Mark, you you were touching base there on um, how important this game is to your fan base. Uh, How important is it for you and the coaching staff and specifically the players each year, it seems like these guys get pretty fired up for this one. Well, it's, it's, it's important. I mean, it's, it's, it's team that's, it's always feel like, um, you know, you're, it's in your side, on your side uh, of, of the league. Um, it's an East game. It's, it's a, it's a rival game. It's our neighbor. Uh, it's an important football game. Mark, you guys have seen a lot of Jared Garitano the last three years. He seems to be a guy who's finally putting it together outside of that second half against Georgia last week. What, what's impressed you most with his development? Oh, he's – I really respect how – he's a tough guy. You know, he, he stands in that pocket. He takes some, some shots. He can deliver the football down the field. Um, they, they do a nice job of creating some matchups and, and um, throwing uh, some shot plays outside and deep. And he has the arm strength to get it there and be accurate and to drop it in. Um, you know, give your give the, his receivers an opportunity to make plays. I think that was a big difference in the past two games with him. I mean, you could look at uh, um, several plays last year. It was a heck of a football game. And you could look at, um, you know, three, four uh, competitive plays that they made that, that, that we didn't and uh, that separated the, the, the win and the loss outside of the uh, plays there at the goal line at the end. Um, so, and they're doing that again this year. And, and you know, even – uh, in the Georgia game, you know, they created some one-on-one matchups that they threw it up and made some uh, really uh, competitive catches, and and he gives them a catchable football. Mark, I don't know if you've had a chance to really review much from um, the Tennessee-Georgia game, but some some of the mistakes that they made, do you think – how much of that do you think it was Georgia really forcing them into mistakes, and do you think those issues can be corrected quickly um, before Saturday? Just like any of us, uh, a little bit of both. Um, there's not a team uh, that plays a game that, that doesn't feel like there's so many things that we could control to get better. It's like that every week, win or lose, and then uh, and, and there's part of it where you have to give credit to the, the other team. One of Tennessee's strengths is on the offensive line. What do they do well that makes that's going to make it a challenge for, for the defensive line this week? They've really become physical. I think that's an area that they've really um, drastically improved uh, since uh, Jeremy's been there. And you can see the physicality, um, you know, uh, getting Cade in there uh, as a transfer eligible helps them along with Trey and, and all those guys. They're, they're a big group and they're physical. And just like all of us in this league, once again, well, you know, we understand the – you know, of course, you got to have playmakers, but uh, you also got to be very physical, and they, they definitely are that. Mark, you probably you kind of answered my question with your praise for the defensive line, but I was just wondering when you looked at the film, was there a common thread to the inter- to the six interceptions on Saturday? Um, a variety of things. I think there was. Uh, you saw 
great individual effort like you did in boogies. That was a true takeaway, a competitive play uh, that, that Jamar made and uh, created and, and took away. There were um, some that were caused by the D-line that, you know, Quentin, uh, get, you know, hustling and playing hard and creating pressure. Uh, Q had a, a direct uh, uh, correlation between the two interceptions, which was a credit to him and, and the guys on the back end. And uh, some was good, you know, coverage and confusion and a little bit of everything. And certainly some down the stretch that were probably, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, gifts because they were in desperation mode and forcing some plays. Okay, so things obviously didn't start the way Kentucky wanted this season, but this is how you salvage it. You win a game like this that your fans, that your team, that your program care so much about. And, hell, even if things don't go as well as Kentucky, I mean, I was hyping them up as SEC East Dark Horse. I wasn't alone. There was many people doing it. It doesn't quite look like Kentucky's going to get to that level this year. But I think if you're Mark Stoops, if you're the Wildcats, how do you define a successful season if you're not in the race for Atlanta? It's winning games like this. You know, if you go 7-3, and 6-4, and four, what have you, but you count a win against Tennessee, maybe you count a win against a Florida all of a sudden who's got all these COVID issues. So, I mean, these are the ones that you hang your hat on that you talk about for years and years, and Kentucky's got a real shot in this game. So, uh, I certainly think it's going to be a good game. I know Shane is going to be nervous picking this one. <laughs> we got a lot of Kentucky listeners, and I'm interested to see how how much talk Shane is willing to do after Georgia gave a whipping to Tennessee. I don't know how bold he's ready to get with his takes, but I'm very interested to see how that back and forth goes. Hey, Shane, well, before we move on, let's uh, remind the listeners we're brought to you by MyBookie, the online sports book. Head on over to MyBookie.ag today. All new customers receive a 100% deposit match up to $1,000. That means if you're a new customer to MyBookie.ag and you put in the promo code THATSEC, that's T-H-A-T-S-E-C, they will match your initial deposit up to $1,000 so you could potentially start with $2,000 to gamble on, Shane, immediately. And we got this college football firing up. We're going to get into some some picks here. But, man, I'm just fired up that college football is finally here. And the only thing that makes football better, in my opinion, is drinking some beer and betting all these games. So <laughs> head on over to mybookie.ag. Once again, that promo code is that SEC over at mybookie.ag. Thousands of cross sports, wagers, props, parlays, all that. Winning season begins today only at my bookie with that promo code that SEC. All right, next let's jump on down to Oxford. Miss. Where all of a sudden Ole Miss is the fun team in the SEC. And it's funny how this quickly changes. Remember a couple weeks ago it was Mississippi State and all these receivers catching all these balls. Everyone wants to go to Starkville. The air raid's taking over the SEC. Now Lane Kiffin's taking over the SEC. Let's over, completely overlook they allowed damn near 70 points and lost the game, but it was fun, wasn't it? So this is going to be an interesting spot here. You're playing Arkansas. You're going on the road to all of a sudden a very competitive Razorback team. Should be 2-1. and one. Don't let the record fool you. I know they're 1-2, and two, but should be 2-1. and one. And I think without a doubt you could say they, the Arkansas Razorbacks 
are the team that gave Georgia the best game. Not Tennessee, not Auburn, the Arkansas Razorbacks. And, hell, Tennessee and Auburn sitting here in two at one. So that should tell you quite a bit about Arkansas. Ole Miss is going to have their hands full. They obviously just threw the kitchen sink at Alabama. How much more do they have? Not saying that, I mean, they got a good coaching staff. They're not going to just, they'll, they'll have something worked up here for Arkansas. But the offensive system down there in Oxford run by uh, Jeff Libby, very similar to what they're running in Arkansas. So, yeah, I don't think they're going to be fooling the Razorbacks on defense. So that's something to think about this week. As Ole Miss is, uh, yeah, I'm seeing articles, well, yeah, Ole Miss, they could be 5-2 and two here in, in a couple games. It's, I guess we're just completely overlooking teams like the Razorbacks. I mean, this is like a 50-50 game here in my mind. It's not, I know Ole Miss looked good against Alabama, but I don't think you can overlook a team like Arkansas who may be one of the tougher teams on your schedule the next couple of weeks here. So this is, uh, this is really going to be a defining game, I think. for And, you know, I've talked about it previously about Arkansas kind of having that thin roster and needing to get wins early. I think you could say the same thing against Ole Miss. We all know how bad the Ole Miss defense is. How is that unit going to hold up, you know, week five, six, seven, eight in the SEC if they're already looking as bad as they are? I mean, Kentucky ran all over them. Alabama did whatever they want. We all know Florida. Of course, Florida and Alabama, I mean, those are elite offenses, so they certainly had something to say about that. But, you know, Arkansas, their offense was looking really good against Auburn last week after the first quarter. So I expect to see a high-scoring game. It's going to be a lot of the a lot of the same. This is just very important for Ole Miss going in to the Arkansas game. Rebound after a tough loss. You played your guts out. You nearly won the game. Came up just short. So let's kick it over to Lane Kiffin, who talked about Nick Saban calling him out for science still, and he says that's bullshit. And I think he's right because we saw how quick Nick Saban backpedaled that on that one, on uh, the Ole Miss defense, not having a ton of confidence right now on the play of Matt Corral. He, Lane Kiffin loves saying rat poison. He said it here. Uh, I think that's the, the guy's favorite damn word at this point. And then he even gets into a little bit about the fact that uh, he was interested in the Arkansas position or, or at least interviewed for it. And we all know the story. It sounded like he was headed to Arkansas. Ole Miss got in there, stole him at the last second. And there's a little bit of bad blood for that. Seen Arkansas fans say, oh, we didn't want him anyway, that they wanted him. I think they certainly happy with Sam Pittman, but uh, at that point, Sam Pittman wasn't on their radar. So uh, if they're they're lying if they tell you anything other than that. Uh, first off, I've never known the signals. I mean, I've never even paid attention to that while I was there. I'm sure they wouldn't even be the same. You know, this is a new coordinator. that. So, um, you know, I love Coach and have a lot of respect for him. Um, but... If you understand tempo, a signal wouldn't help us. We call the play basically before the last play is even over, before they even mark the ball. We call our play. You know, then they scramble to, to get a play call. They're just trying to get their guys lined up. So it wouldn't do us any good. We're already like, by the time someone relay that to us, we're already like snapping the ball. So I don't know where that came from. And people do it. It's not illegal. You know, people do it all the time, but it's usually people that play slower. You know, people steal our signals all the time, but it's hard to to translate, you know, to the players because we're going so fast. So uh, we did not do that. Um, so it is what it is. It doesn't make any sense if you understand how we play. Lane, a couple of your defensive players this year have said things along the lines of 
they don't feel like they're fully trusting the system when they're on the field. They don't feel like they're playing within the system. How do you go about fixing that? Well, I think confidence is very fragile. No matter who you are, best quarterbacks in the world, they get hit around you know, in Super Bowls, and we've seen them play bad. Um, so I've always said that. And I think when you know, you're in a, a run like this where we're struggling you know, in that phase of the game, you know, it's hard. Um, and we're playing, you know, some great players. You know, a lot of first round picks we're trying to cover there. So, um, you know, it usually takes a game or part of a game to play well to kind of get that back. And so hopefully that happens this week. Every week's a new week. Every game's a new life. What you've done before never matters, never has. Whether you're Elijah Moore leading the country reception, I got nothing to do with Saturday, you know, or whether you've given up a ton of yards. You know, it's all new, and that's why they play the games. It's why, you know, people think games are going to be one way, and they're completely different because you got to show up. So I look for us, for us to play much better this week on defense. Lane, um, based on the first couple of weeks and even last night, how would you kind of assess Matt's uh, progression running this offense? I mean, I don't want to, you know, rat poison the guy, but, you know, A-plus. You know, he, he's made so many plays, um, bailed us out of different things. And, you know, I don't know what it, he was one last week. I'm sure Max won now, but I'm, they're probably still one and two in country and quarterback efficiency and just has, has played lights out, um, which is difficult. I, I don't I don't know many people would have expected that, again, having no spring, you know, in, in a quarterback competition. It's not like he's, you know, established starter in the third year of a system. This is all new for him. I know you had uh, other people interested in you last December. I'm wondering if, if you or, or your representation had conversations with Arkansas and maybe what you thought about that job. Oh, we did. I'm not going to get into you know complete detail about that. Um, you know, I knew that athletic director actually from interviewing with him at Houston, so I knew him before. Um, I think he did, he does a great job, great guy to work for. Um, and so I, you know, I think they got some really good young players that you're seeing, um, kind of like us, some on offense as well. Um, so, and they're, they're doing a great job. I mean, they very easily could have won last week against an established program like Auburn. Um, you know, after losing 20 straight SEC games, you know, prior to winning the week before. So, um, Sam's doing an awesome job, and their defense is their defense. You know, for a defense really bad last year statistically um is doing a, doing a great job all right so credit kiffin again i mean he's keeping it real here he's putting saving in his place he's talking about the arkansas razorbacks and having some uh, interactions there with hunter yurichek so always appreciate when these guys are transparent because they they certainly don't have to be and a lot of them certainly aren't so i appreciated that from lane kiffin but yeah, so they've got to get this defense fixed, and they got to get it fixed in a hurry because, like I said, Felipe Franks, he just plays his best game as a Razorback. You're starting to see – we've been touting Arkansas on these receivers. It, sounds like, it looks like guys like Warren stepping up. Uh, they're finally getting the, the, the young tight end involved. Uh, Traylon Smith, getting him involved. Rakeem Boyd, if he's back. I mean, there's going to be a lot of weapons for Arkansas to attack this Ole Miss defense. they got to get this thing right. We all know what Matt Corral and the offense are capable of. But this uh, this may be the, one of the most entertaining games of Saturday. Could be a shootout-style game. I can't wait for it. So let's kick it on down to the other side. Let's go to Fayetteville. Woo-pig! Where Sam Pittman met with the media here recently. And 
obviously talked up Ole Miss and everything there. And, you know, the the big talking point is the play, the the damn controversial bullshit call from the refs on the field cost them a win. We all know the story by now, but certainly sounds like Sam Pittman is ready to move on. That's all you can do. The media kind of, and, you know, to their credit, you know, they asked him about it several times, but it is the biggest story, I think, with that team right now. So you can't just ignore it, but at the same time, I mean, they if the Razorbacks linger on it, it's going to cost them two games. So if they come out, put it behind them, maybe they come out with even more of an edge. That's kind of what some Sam Pittman is, is kind of harping on here. We need to jumpstart this offense right out the gate. We keep coming out flat. And once we get this thing rolling, we're looking pretty good. I remember the Mississippi State game. They didn't even have a first down in the first quarter. This Auburn game, it wasn't much better. They were, it was basically stuck in reverse until they got that thing revved up and they were going. So Ole Miss is not a team you can take a quarter or two off. I mean, they're going to score at will. We just saw if they did that to Alabama's defense, you can be sure as good as Barry Odom's got that Razorback defense playing, they're going to be able to score quite a few points on the Razorbacks. So they've got to be ready to get there with them. Sam Pittman talks about that on Felipe Franks. You know, It is interesting. They keep taking them out near the goal line, and it keeps not working. K.J. Jefferson, uh, Malik, putting them in in different games. And one time, K.J. Jefferson fumbled the ball. It just doesn't make any sense to me why you're taking out your basically your best player. It'd be one thing if Felipe Franks was completely immobile and they wanted to get you know a faster guy in there. I guess that would make some sense, but we've seen Felipe Franks run plenty. He's not necessarily the fastest guy, but he's big, he's physical, he can run. So I don't know, this was kind of interesting. I don't think Sam Pittman is probably the right man to maybe be asking about this. It's probably a Kendall Browse question, but at least he addressed it. And then uh, Sam Pittman, I mean, he's being honest. I love this about the guy. He's as transparent as can be. Talking about uh, Arkansas just needs to get bigger. They're not going to be out physical, but they don't have the depth. They just don't have the size at this point. So they, I think they're going to wear down at some point. But like it, similar, just said it with Ole Miss, they need to get these games early because this is their opportunity before what's this roster going to look like. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping they're all healthy the entire season, but are we being realistic? Or, I mean, we're already seeing Rakeem Boyd miss a bunch of games. And just imagine four, five, six weeks down the line, how many holes we're going to have with just players not being in the lineup. So we got to get these wins early for Arkansas before we get to this meet of the SEC schedule. We're getting into it, but we got to get them now before we get to the back end of that. So let's kick it over to Sam Pittman, who is ready to talk about Ole Miss. Yeah, Sam, what are your thoughts on Ole Miss, particularly I guess their offense is scoring an incredibly amount of points. Their defense is giving up an incredible amount of points. What do you think about Ole Miss and especially – the offense and what Kiffin's doing there. I'm telling you, they're incredible. I mean, they are. I mean, they're fun to watch. They're scary to watch, but they're fun to watch. And it starts with with their quarterback, uh, Corral, and then, you know, Early and Connor are two really good running backs. They've got a a nice offensive line, a physical offensive line, and then you go with Drummond, Moore, and Mingo. Those guys can play along with some other guys. But – I tell you what, the guy, the, the transfer they got in from Tempo, and I'm not positive how to say Kenny's last no, name, Yabo, maybe Yaboa. I don't want to be disrespectful to him because that kid is a great football player. And uh, so they've got weapons to throw to. 
certainly they're fast, fast, fast pace. And that's what Coach Kiffin's obviously known for offense and he's known for, for a reason because he's an excellent football coach and they've got an excellent offensive football team, excellent football team. Uh, coach, the, the offense got going pretty good in, in the ball game, but is is there any way you can kind of jump started and maybe uh, create a situation where they can get moving earlier in the ball game? All of that to me uh, directly relates to our pregame. Um, we don't start fast because we don't start pregame fast. We're out there uh, basically going, hey, look at me, look how good I look in my uniform and not getting ready for the game. And that's got to stop. And that's our fault. That's my fault. We've got to get our players going in, in pregame warmups. We've got to knock heads a little bit. We've got to run routes faster. We've got to catch balls. And we didn't hardly catch a ball in pregame. And uh, therefore, we started very slow. I believe everything matters. And I believe everything correlates to winning if you do it the correct way. And we did not. And that starts in pregame warmups. Um, Sam, we seen you take Felipe out on the goal line. I guess Mississippi State in last week, and um, putting the other quarterbacks in didn't work like you wanted to. Well, what, what was what's your thought process on taking Felipe out, and then why'd you put a Hornsby in instead of Jefferson at Auburn? Well, uh, because that was our goal line uh, part of our goal line package going into the game, and uh, so that's what Kendall did we felt like we could get outside when they're all uh, hammered inside on us and and so that's that's what he decided to do and and we worked it all week it just didn't work out and KJ's situation was the same uh, the the uh, week before I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and second guess what what we did because we practiced it every day and that's for the fans I guess and and y'all to second guess on that but I mean, when he called Malik in there, I had no problem with it. We practiced it. It looked good. Hey, Coach, you've talked about some of these guys individually, but when you really put it all together as a group, and you're talking about, you know, a, a walk-on at cornerback, true freshman at cornerback, a former walk-on at safety, um, you know, defensive end, you've got, you know, two second-year players instead of maybe guys you thought would be there. And then offense, you know, Blake Kearns, former walk-on. John David White's played a lot. You know, given all that, and to structure this as a question is kind of hard, but given all of that, are you surprised if you were told at the beginning of the season that you'd be playing winning football with all of that happening at one time? Oh, you know, Trey, I'm a believer, man. So uh, I believe in us Razorbacks, man. So Am I nervous sometimes, you know, when they say, well, so-and-so is not going to, he ain't on the plane. He's not on the plane. He's not on the plane. You know, yeah, it makes you a little nervous. <laughs> but we prepare these guys. And more than anything, we let these kids know we believe in them. And it gives them a confidence builder. And we do believe in them. But uh, the, the key is I think they're just playing extremely hard. They know what they're doing. They're playing extremely hard. And, and uh, we're awful happy uh, with their effort and what we may or may not have physically. We have to get a 
become a bigger team, Trey, because right now we're getting hit and we're getting hurt. You know, uh, we have to uh, obviously get in the weight room and, and get bigger, but get stronger because, you know, we're, we're breaking up a little bit uh, and teams are just much bigger than we are. I'm not saying they're more physical because half of our injuries is us injuring ourselves and hitting somebody so hard. But uh, obviously it's a big man's league and we've, we have to continue to get a little bit bigger in the weight room and, and also in recruiting. Sam, just with an offense like Ole Miss that, that seems to score at every turn, how much pressure does it put on your own offense to, you know, not just to, to almost have to score every time they got the ball? What's the highest – what's the best word for highest amount of pressure possible? What is that in the dictionary? That's what it is. We better score. Our offense better come to play because their offense is – unbelievably good I mean it just is so does it add extra yeah it does but I don't know if it does or not we try and score every time but I know we've certainly talked about it as a staff all right so I love this uh Sam Pittman talking about how terrifying this Ole Miss offense is I think he's it's terrifying a lot of the SEC defensive coordinators but it'll be interesting to see how Barry Odom schemes up for Ole Miss because you know, like I said when we were talking Ole Miss, Kendall Bryles knows this system. He helped teach it to uh, Levy and helped teach it to Kiffin. So I don't think there's going to be a ton of surprises. And certainly Barry Odom picking Kendall Bryles' brain probably all week on advice on how to slow down this Ole Miss offense if if possible. I mean, there's one thing no one know what to call. It's another thing to get your players to execute it. So, yeah, this is uh, – like like I said, this is going to be, I think, the game that I'm most excited to watch this weekend just from a potential of, of one of these Big 12 shootout-type games. Certainly don't think Alabama-Georgia is going to be that. We all know we're all excited about that one. But this is uh, this is probably game 1-B one, one here for me. I just think this could be a fascinating one that both these teams capable of winning. We've got the little bit of bad blood with Lane Kiffin spurning Arkansas at the last minute. Uh, we've got the relationships on these coaching staffs. It's certainly friendly. I'm not saying the, the relationships between them are bad, but there's a lot of storylines. It's going to be a great game. should be really entertaining. And, you know, it's in Fayetteville, so a little bit of a home field advantage here could play in the Razorbacks' favor uh, by the time, you know, it's all said and done. All right, let's kick it down to the Plains where War Damn Eagle. We had Gus Malzon on Tuesday talk about uh, South Carolina and previewing that matchup. And, you know, we're in the same spot here. It just seems like we're, is, this is an annual storyline. Gus Malzon's offense not getting it done. And now even Kevin Steele's defense struggling a little bit here. So certainly don't think that uh, Kevin Steele's doing a bad job or anything, but just replacing. Damn near the entire defensive front and defensive secondary will do that to you. And then on top of that, they've been having a ton of injuries. So uh, good news is Gus says uh, basically all the players in the secondary should be available for this game. Uh, Jalen Simpson, who won SEC Freshman of the Week, Week 1, he should be good to go. He's back at practice, so that's great news. They And he said they're basically fully healthy outside of Britt, the linebacker. He's still Going to be out for a couple weeks here. so But this is a key game here. You're Auburn. You think you're an SEC West contender. 
like I said, you got the two and one record, but should be one and two. Some of these games, I don't know, these are the games your Gus Malzahn, you're expected to win, you got to win. Whereas on the other side, Will Muschamp, certainly seems like the expectations are low within that fan base. Can we even compete with a team like Auburn? Yes, you can. I mean, I think this is going to be a good game. And Will Muschamp's going in with, uh, you know, nothing to lose here. Fans are expecting you to lose. You've got the talent, I think, to compete with this team. Show they had the talent to compete with Florida and Tennessee, too. Just, you know, one mistake here, one mistake there, and that's the difference in the game. And the way Bo Nix is playing right now, I know they like to blame it on the rain last week, but didn't bother Felipe Franks. They were playing on the same damn field. So if uh, Bo Nix doesn't get this cleared up, hmm, South Carolina is going to be in this one. And keep in mind, Auburn only had two receivers catch the ball last week. So they don't seem to know what in the hell they're doing on the passing game. Not totally surprised we got uh, old Chad Morris calling the plays, obviously. So kind of saw that one coming. But another thing I did see coming, let, let's not totally crap on Auburn here. Tank Bigsby, my God. Guy's a beast. I mean, he was the one, he's the reason they won the Arkansas game for the most part. And he's really coming along. He's proven to be everything that uh, Auburn was hoping they would get him in. And, of course, the biggest suitor between Georgia and South Carolina, I mean, those were the two that were really after Tank Bigsby. I think this was an Auburn-South Carolina recruiting battle towards the end. So this is kind of the Tank Bigsby Bowl. And the Gamecocks going to find out – well, they already know why they wanted him, but they're going to find out how bad it, it was really to miss out on him. So – I think we got that little storyline going into it, but here's one that you really got to key in on this game. Auburn really struggling in the red zone on offense. Auburn right now ranks ninth in the SEC in scoring in the red zone. Touchdown percentage, even worse, 12th in the red zone, and that's on offense, whereas South Carolina rates in the top four in stopping opponents in the red zone, not allowing touchdowns. So this game very well could come down to it. And, you know, Gus kind of puts those struggles on the offensive line, having to reshuffle them. Well, guess what? No surprise. One of the strong points of South Carolina is this defensive line coming together. A lot of young talent. A lot of it's playing its way uh, into production. I mean, I'm, you know, specifically referring to uh, guys like uh, freshman Jordan Birch, Zach Pickens, we all know, is just in his sophomore season. So, I mean, they got a ton of talent here, South Carolina's defensive line. This could be a real mismatch in this game. Something to consider. I think, uh, you know, that's point spread. I think it's at two and a half. They know what they're talking about on that one. So let's kick it over to Gus, who he's going to hype up South Carolina like he always does. He's asked about the red zone struggles and and having to shuffle that offensive line around on the challenge of you know trying to find that third receiver. Going into the year, we thought we had eight, nine, ten receivers on this team. Seems like we only got two at this point. And then uh, really he gets asked a lot about Tank Bigsby, who is just making people miss left and right this season. Gus, you mentioned South Carolina's third down defense. What stands out to you about how they play on third down and, and how big of a test is that going to be for you guys, especially given yeah. talk so much about improving on third down? Yeah, there's no doubt. Well, you know, they're, they're very aggressive up front. They put pressure on quarterbacks. They disrupt quarterbacks and and, and uh, make them uncomfortable. Um, you know, they do a good job with their their coverage. Um, they don't give you any easy throws. You've got to earn it, and uh, it's impressive to watch. 
Yeah, talk about South Carolina's physicality. I know your head coach believes in playing that way. Have you seen that from this team? Yeah, I mean, like I said, you look at, uh, at their defense and they're 18th in the country, they're third in the league. And like I said, it, what stands out to me is their third down defense. They actually, they, they get after the quarterback extremely well. And, um, you know, they, they play tight coverage. And like I said, don't, don't you know, give you any easy ones. Yeah, you guys have only five touchdowns on 10 red zone trips. What are the challenges in that area and how do you go about improving? Yeah, uh, you know, we'll, we'll continue. Like I said, uh, you know, Chad's learning a lot about his guys. He's got three games under his belt, um, you know, and I think just like anything else, you know, I think the offense will have an opportunity to improve uh, each week, not just in red zone, but third down and, and first down and all that. So, you know, that that's, that's the goal. And now we're finally, of course, you know, you look last week, <clears throat> you know, Austin Troxel, uh, got banged up in practice, wasn't able to to play. Broderis didn't get a lot of reps. We weren't for sure if he was going to be able to play or not. So we had counsel that, you know, started at left guard one game, right guard another game. He started at right tackle. And so, you know, I really believe that getting five guys, getting healthy up front, which I think this week will be healthier, and getting those five guys set, I think that helps everything. And not just red zone and all that, but – like I told you earlier, I mean, we didn't have the same five guys in fall camp, and now it's kind of been mix and match. But I think we're to a point now where we got a chance to be healthier, and uh, and I think you'll see, you know, improvement. Gus talked about, you know, tight ends and their uses kind of in the passing game, but how important is it just to find a third option? I mean, Seth and, and, and Anthony have been really the guys that, that Bo has looked at, and, you know, without Eli, but – how important is it to, to have more guys, and, and what does that mean for an offense? Yeah, I think that's part of developing uh, the offense and expanding it more. Keep in mind, you know, we weren't able to go through spring. I just told you about the offensive line issues and personnel as far as trying to get the five guys. But I do know this, uh, you know, early on in the season, uh, you know, we, we really have worked hard to get the ball to flash, and we felt like after looking at last season, he needed more touches. So I think that's a real positive. And you can see him, he's really starting to come on. And uh, then you look at Seth, and we think Seth's got a chance to be one of the best receivers in the league also, and trying to get him involved. So what you'll see is it'll be a process, and you'll see more and more guys get involved. And, you know, a lot of times if they're going to single those guys, we're going to keep throwing it to them. And if they do a little extra, well, then you use your common sense and you start getting it to other guys. So I think with both of those factors, I think you'll see more and more touches for other guys, you know, throughout the next seven games. I guess what has impressed you the most about how quickly Tank has been able to, you know, make such an impact? I think I saw a stat where he's already broken the second most tackles in college football this year. Yeah. Uh, you know, what's impressed me is just his physicality and determination. Uh, he's still learning the plays. I mean, he is still learning the schemes and um, the steps and everything that goes with it. And uh, But one thing he's doing is he's bringing a wood. And uh, he's running angry uh, with great physicality and uh, with great effort. He's really doing a good job in kick returns, too. And, you know, we're throwing him in the fire. I mean, he's a true freshman and, you know, didn't get to go through spring. And, 
you know, we had Worm banged up, a DJ banged up, so he had an opportunity. And he sees that opportunity. And, uh, and I really think you'll see him after the game slows down a little bit and he actually can, you know, read things and slow himself down. I think he's sky's the limit. Tom Green's next. Uh, just going off that, what is it about Tank that's just, you know, for a freshman to be able to come on and have that kind of success so early? I think he had the best rushing performance by a freshman since Michael Dyer teammates were saying he was running like Cadillac. Yeah. I think it's his approach. Um, I think it's his approach. He loves, he loves the game of football. He loves playing football. He's got confidence. Um, he's got a great positive spirit about him. And, you know, he has that edge, uh, and you, you see him running it. And like I said, he's got the potential to, to really, you know, keep going. And that's what's exciting for me. If I can see the fact Auburn can't pass the ball, certainly Will Muschamp and company is going to see that. And they're going to key in on Tank Bigsby, try to stop maybe the best freshman in the SEC this year. So that is going to be critical in this game, stopping Tank's Tank Bigsby making critical stops in the red zone. And if you find a way to corral Bigsby, you may just corral, corral Auburn's offense because, you know, I'm not seeing a ton from this unit. So that is going to be something to watch here in this game going on the road to South Carolina in a game that I think the Gamecocks basically playing with house money at this point in this matchup. All right, so jumping down to the other side, let's go to Columbia where Will Muschamp met with the media also on Tuesday. And now we're coming off this uh, 41-7 win over Vanderbilt. I know it's Vanderbilt, and they were down guys and all that, but, hell, you know, momentum's momentum. And that's something kind of Will Muschamp talked about. And he says, your wife likes you better, your girlfriend likes you better, if you got one. <laughs> He's No joke, he says that here in just a second. But, I mean, it just changes the whole energy of that building. And this is something you can look at, you know, all across the SEC. Hell, Tennessee, you know, you lose to Georgia State. I, I think this, that's the example I really like to use because it's like, my God, this program's in the tank. And you saw that the next week. They just, I guess, BYU, they had that game won. They lost it at the end. It's a loser mentality. But once you start getting those wins and you be able to stack them, you can build momentum. That's, that's what's so great about college football. It's about building momentum. It's about you know getting these young players to believe. And right before that Vanderbilt game, I don't know if these South Carolina players believe. Go watch the first half of that game. It was ugly. I don't know if they you know, thought they were going to win that game. I don't know. But now they, they won it in the second half. They won it by a demonstrative fashion. You know, what does that do for the confidence level of these young Gamecocks? Going, now they're going up against an Auburn team that's been struggling on both sides of the ball, if you ask me, at certain points of this year. So, you know, this is, uh, again, this is going to be a tight matchup. So let's kick it over to Will Muschamp, talking about Tank Bigsby on the momentum gain from beating Vanderbilt. And then he talks about uh, Auburn's offense, what he's seeing, Chad Morris, Gus Malzahn's system. And then on Kevin Steele, who's just, uh, you know, one of the, more cagey SEC veterans. Will, what do you? What kind of stood out from your guys' recruitment of Tank Bigsby, and were there any moments of that that kind of stuck with you as you kind of go into facing him? Well, I mean, I just a wonderful young man, a great family. 
uh, came to our campus several times. I think he really liked it here. Thomas Brown did a great job recruiting him. We all had a very good relationship with him. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's got a lot of great opportunities. When you, when you recruit in our league, <laughs> it's not like there's a bad choice. You know, I, I mean, South Carolina is a great place. Auburn's a great place. Other great schools recruited him. Uh, you put your best foot forward in the recruiting process and a young man makes a decision. And he's from, uh, you know, right there at, uh, in LaGrange in that area, which is very close. It's obviously more convenient for his family. Uh, and, and he's very close with his mother and, 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 his, and his brother. So I, I totally understood the decision. Yeah. Well, what are the, what, what have the past couple of days been like for the guys around there? I would imagine it's kind of an uptick in confidence, energy, spirit that you, you, you must be seeing around. Well, certainly winning helps, you know, makes the food taste a little better. Your wife likes you a little bit more. Your girlfriend, I guess, likes you a little more if you have one. Um, so I, it's, it, it certainly gives you a little better outlook on things, but, uh, you know, our guys have, uh, you know, been very pleased with for the most part of how we've gone about our work on a Tuesday practice, which is a hard work day for us. Tomorrow is as well. And Thursday is a little bit more mental, but still physical as, as, as far as those things are concerned. And, uh, you know, I thought they came in with a very good attitude on Sunday, understanding we still have a lot of uh, improvement to be made on our team and corrections and, you know, to, to accept the, the being a very coachable player. And that's something we challenge them with all the time. And then understanding that we got a very good Auburn team coming in here Saturday uh, and we need to continue to improve and get better. But uh, with with Auburn's offense and, and obviously Chad and Gus are, are pretty similar in the things that they do, what what have you seen from them uh, these first few games and, and some of the stuff they're running? Well, I think that they they have a very shared background uh, offensively. But you know, anytime that, that there is a change in the play caller, you've got there, there will be some differences game day as far as the things and some tendencies that you look at. Um, but there are, you know, most of the run game is the same. I wouldn't say all of it. Some, some of the past concepts are the same. I wouldn't say all of it. Um, but there's a lot of similarities across the board, you know, in both guys having a very shared background in what they do. Mm -hmm. And I guess, what have you seen? I mean, Kevin Steele's obviously been in the SEC for what feels like forever. What are some tendencies of his defense that you've been able to pick up from, from watching? Hard nose, tough. Uh, is going to, you know, be very aggressive, attack what you do. Uh, his experience in our leg, his experience against play callers um, is uh, very valuable, in my opinion. And, uh, but, but, you know, I know, I know Kevin's style of coaching and, and his guys are going to be aggressive. They're going to play fast and physical. Uh, you know what kind of brand of ball you're going to get when you play uh, somebody he's coached and, and especially somebody from Auburn. Yeah, well, a little off topic. I don't know how much fine bomb you get to watch during the week, but Lane Kiffin went on there last none zero. Okay. All right, all season, summer, fall, <laughs> you name it, none. Um, but what, our, what did our good friend say about South Carolina and me? No, L Lane Kiffin went on there the other day and said oh, you, okay. you Kirby and him have a group text going as former Nick Saban assistants. I'm, I'm just curious how that group text got started. What do y'all talk about? How often do y'all talk? I just I wanted more details on that. I think it all started when this pandemic started of different things that you're going through, uh, protocols, how are y'all handling this? How are y'all handling that? Um, so, and past that, I'll probably leave it at that. Probably be best to leave it at that. All right, so, you know, not a ton of good stuff from uh, Will Muschamp. I, hey, do you like that? Uh, I had to include that stuff about the, 
Lane Kiffin, Kirby Smart, <laughs> Will Muschamp, Jeremy Pruitt text thread. So that was great too. But it, Will Muschamp kind of got in the mood there when he heard fine by me. He was probably thinking, oh my God, what's what's he saying now about my job status? <laughs> but hey, maybe they're singing a different tune. And that's the thing with this matchup. You beat Gus Malzahn. That may be the best thing in the world if you're Will Muschamp because guess who they're talking about the hot seat now? They ain't talking about Will Muschamp being on the hot seat. They're talking about Gus Malzahn. All the pressure's on Gus in Auburn to win this one. Last time I checked, um, I don't know how well Auburn does under pressure. So th- that's always been their MO. They go into a season with no expectations. They're going to the national champion. They're going to the SEC championship game. They go into the year the top five. They're unranked and don't go to a bowl game. So, <laughs> hey, that's the MO, and they've got to prove it, prove it otherwise uh, to get people like me to shut up about it. All right, final matchup here. Let's uh, jump on down to College Station. Giga Maggots. Well, all of a sudden, you want to talk about momentum. Ooh, baby. I'd thrown Texas A&M up my power rankings after beating a really good Florida team. And, but, God, who knows how many of them had COVID. Maybe that's why they couldn't play defense. But uh, Jimbo Fisher, <laughs> now this team, you know, it's sad news, though, here with the Aggies. Caleb Chapman, a guy I was not even really that familiar with, he had a huge game against Florida, nine catches, 151 yards, two touchdowns. He had that big, big 51-yard touchdown that tied the game late in the fourth quarter. He got injured on that play. Jimbo says most likely out for the year. And, you know, with Jamon Osmond opting out, they've had other receivers knocked out of the year due to injuries. Jimbo says they're not snake bitten, but it sure does feel like it at that position. Now, it's not all doom and gloom, obviously, because the offensive line's coming together. The running game looks fantastic. And with Kellen Mond playing sharp, I mean, all of a sudden makes Texas A&M very, very dangerous. But can they keep it up with the, you know, the receivers dropping like flies and not having obstacles? They got Jalen Watermeyer, probably the most underrated tight end in the league. But they're going up against Mississippi State. That's the one narrative probably lost outside of Starkville. Well, Mike Leach's offense is, you know, looking rough. The defense has been outstanding. So how does this Jimbo Fisher offense look going up his first time against the 3-3-5 of Mississippi State and um, defensive coordinator Zach Arnett? This is one of the sneaky good coaching matchups of the weekend. And it will be interesting to see how they attack this Mike Leach offense. I mean, you got to figure two weeks in a row, all Mississippi State opponents have been doing. Rushing three, dropping eight. It's working like a charm because K.J. Costello is having a very, very difficult time reading the field. He's forcing throws, turning the ball over left and right. He, does he, is he may not, he may, we'll get to Mississippi State in just a second, but he may not even be the quarterback. It may be Will Rogers. And if you're Texas A&M, hell, it's probably a win-win either way. You're facing a true freshman or you're, turn, you're facing a guy that's turning it over four or five times a game. So, like I said, this obviously favor, favors the Aggies here going into this matchup, at least from that vantage point. So let's kick it over to Jimbo. Talks about uh, his the improvements in the offensive line on Florida, if that win vindicates his Texas A&M program because he had idiots like me and Shane calling him out and saying his job was on the line. <laughs> and he shut us up pretty quick. Uh, the past defense facing Mississippi State's air raid, and on building, how important it'll be to build on last week's win. Otherwise, again, it's like I'm saying, you, you kind of lose that momentum if, you, if you're unable to do that. 
Y'all, uh, your offensive line had had some issues in pass protection the last couple of years. I think about 70 sacks over the last two years and doing a great job about that uh, with that this year. What, what's the difference? It's amazing what maturity is, isn't it? I mean, you got maturity, you got guys know, they played games, they recognize blitzes, they recognize stunts, they know how to pass them off. I mean, yes, guys can't always do it as freshmen. And plus, you know, your quarterback's more experienced, you know, so he can read, get the ball out quicker. I mean, you know, sacks don't always – everybody says, well, the offensive line on a sack. Well, no. Maybe receiver runs the wrong route. Maybe he went too deep. Maybe he didn't get open in one-on-one coverage and made the quarterback hold it. Maybe the quarterback held it or made the quarterback made a bad read. I mean, the obvious to everybody is not the obvious. Sacks don't always go on, on the offensive line. And sometimes it, it can be on receivers for all getting covered and the quarterback has nowhere to go with it. Or the quarterback makes the wrong read. Or vice versa. Sometimes, you know, quarterbacks get credit and the other guy should get stuff. I mean, it's not as obvious as it seems. But the big thing is I think their maturity, their number of starts, the number of times they played – and I just think being able to play some seniors that have been around the block, as they say, and have seen a lot of twists, stunts, games, and they know how to compete in games. And I think you get better with that. And that's one of the, that's one of the sad things about college football, that you don't always get to see that anymore with mature, mature, experienced offensive lines because those guys, the real good ones, all come out too quick. Can I ask one more, guys? Um, Coach, it uh, seems like all last week, the national narrative was that you had to win that game in order to prove that there was some kind of uh, 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 that there was uh, progress in in your program. Did, did did you feel that way? And if so, do you feel vindicated no. at all? No. You mind elaborating? No, I mean, you asked me a question. Yeah. I said no. I don't feel like I did, and I didn't feel like I was vindicated. I mean, you got to play every week, like I said. And and what goes again? Don't everybody looks at the obvious. Look at there's other things that say signatures of where your program's going, how it's going, why it's going, what's going to be in the future. It's not always in that. Sometimes it is in wins and losses. Sometimes it isn't. There's a lot of things. I've been in this game a long time and can see things coming. I love where we're going. I love where we're at. We have tons of work to do. We're nowhere close to where we need to be, but we're heading in the right direction. We got great young players. Our older guys are doing a good job, and and we, and we can play some good football. Now we got to go do it again. Doesn't matter. We got to line up this week and go do it again. So, I mean, the obvious to some folks is not always the obvious to, to us once, once you're within inside. Hey, Coach, uh, how concerning is some of the secondary issues you guys have had? Nine passing touchdowns a lot of the last two games with a, an air raid offense. Well, it is, and, and the good thing, the bad thing about it is we played two really good teams in Florida and Alabama. You're playing guys who probably throw it as well as anybody around, and uh, we're going to face another one this week. So, good thing we ought to have a lot of prep, a lot of have that experience. So, hopefully guys can see the mistakes, correct the mistakes, because they've, they've won against really good people the last few weeks. Uh, and what we're doing three weeks, all you know, the games we played, so hopefully we'll continue to improve. And that's, that's what you got to do. you got to look at why they're happening, try to put them in better position to be successful. You'll know them better as players, what they can and can't do. And hopefully by the matchups in which we have this week, you know, we can create some better things to, to do better. It's going to be a challenge. And then just to follow up, just in general, Coach, when you run the ball as well as you did on Saturday, what does that do for you offensively as the play caller? Well, I mean, it gives you diversity. It gives you options. It gives – it creates – matchup issues on defense and it allows them to you know different packages you have people can't always work in de on things even when they're preparing for you they, they always know they got to spend time on the run they got to spend time on this i think the more diverse you can be and the more successful in all those areas it, it gives you an advantage jimbo after the game and again today you talked about you know building on what happened and i was just curious how difficult is it for a team that's had success to to kind of build on it, live with success, deal with it, 
And what's your message to your players this week? It's all, it's all part of maturing. Remember why you had success last week. How would you practice? How would you sleep? How would you prepare? How would you watch film? Now, the pro, you can't cheat this game. You can't cheat it. Physical ability is not winning this game. It gives you an opportunity to be successful. It's how you prepare, how you think, how you practice, your attention to detail, and what you're trusting the process and the preparation of how you do things. We call it the power of preparation. And that's what you have to do. And you have to stay hungry. Listen, every team's coming to beat you. And every team in this league can beat you very easily. And you have to prove yourself each and every day. It's not about the scoreboard. It's about winning your space, putting your head down. I don't care about this. If I take care of my space and I take care of things on the field, the things on the scoreboard take care of themselves. And you have to tr stay true to those beliefs. You have to do it, and you have to uh, do it over and over and over, and don't get bored doing it. All right, old fast-talking Jimbo. He talks a little faster. The more hap you know, the happier he gets, it sure does seem. And he's in a good mood here. Big win for Texas A&M. Now the challenge is keeping that momentum against a Mississippi State program that's faltering at the moment. They could get the momentum by upsetting Texas A&M. So uh, all, you know, as big as that Florida win was, suffer a defeat here at Mississippi State, all of a sudden there goes all that momentum. So that's the challenge here for the Aggies this weekend. All right, final stop here. Let's go on down to Starkville. Mike Leach talked about uh, K.J. Costello and the quarterback position there. And, you know, it was interesting during the game, the Kentucky game, you go back and watch it, the announcers were talking about the fact that uh, Will Rogers kind of played in this system before. He's familiar with reading or playing against uh, defenses that drop eight in the coverage, whereas K.J. Costello, obviously coming from Stanford and that pro-style system, just not used to seeing it because it is pretty rare. I don't know what in the hell Mississippi State's doing here facing three-man lines and not running the ball. I mean, they're, they, I think Kylan Hill caught like 15 passes last year or last week, and he was getting some decent yardage, you know, checkdowns. I mean, I don't think any of them went for longer than 10 yards, but, uh, I mean, it was just checkdown city, checkdown city, and maybe K.J. Costello, after throwing a couple of those checkdowns, just, I don't know, some quarterbacks just hate to throw the checkdown, even though it's working. Dink and dunk all the way down the field. The, the lack of explosive play maybe just drives him nuts. I don't know, but he's just seeing a very hard it's, – it's been very hard for him to know where to go with the ball when they got all these guys in the zone. So Mississippi State's got to figure this out. And I think the key has got to be – I said, uh, you know, now that they got Kylan Hill, get him more involved, and they, they certainly have in the passing game, but maybe we need to run the ball a little bit more here. Now, obviously, Mike Leach, he doesn't need my advice, Coach, and if – Lord help him if he does, because he'll be my podcast host if he listens to me too much. But that's just kind of how I'm seeing it, because this is the same old, same old here, two weeks in a row, three-man pressures, eight-man dropping, and you got to get physical. You got to – defenses pay for doing that, and they've yet to do that so far. So Mike Leach kind of talks about K.J. Costello and the the status of this quarterback. He may – of the quarterback – position here he won't commit to KJ Costello at this point based on the last couple of weeks of play on how to coach his players to get better and then uh, finally on the, all these fence riders on his team oh and then classic Mike Leach talked about uh, the damn the, the, the Texas Tech fans and, and waiting for these games and facing Texas A&M he's no stranger to facing Texas A&M of course he did it a long time ago in the Big 12 but still this is just classic classic Mike Leach just going on a damn rant here Mike, after uh, looking at the film again, oh, Mike, after looking at the film again, uh, what did you kind of see from KJ? And at least going into this week, uh, do you feel like he's still your starter going forward? 
Um, we'll see. Uh, you know, we're going to have competition at, at nearly every position out there because we need to get the most cohesive group. You know, I think that, uh, you know, it, just as far as being purely competitive out there at every position, I think we need to do. I think we need to take care of the football better for sure. I don't think we're, um, you know, as I said in the last press conference, I don't think we're protecting well. I don't think we're seeing the field very well, and I don't think we're catching very well or running routes very well. And we have the ability to do it because, uh, you know, we've seen them do it. And, you know, some cases maybe some of the young guys have stage fright. Some cases, you know, we just need to learn how to work harder, you know, and develop uh, the experience that allows us to do that. Mike, uh, kind of going off what Ben said a little bit there, but uh, when it comes to KJ, what do you want to see him fix going into, you know, the, the A&M uh, matchup if he is still, uh, you know, starting? Uh, I want him to see the field better and take care of the football, you know, uh, and then uh, see the field better uh, quicker and, and efficiently and then uh, take care of the football, I think, is key. Going off of that a little bit, time and time again, you've said that you don't think his KJ's eyes are in the right spot. Is that something you can teach or coach, or is that just something that has to come naturally for him? And given, <clears> a guy, <throat> given that he's had so much experience, you know, why, why don't you think his eyes are in the, the right place? I think, I think it's, it's both. both. You know, I think that uh, I think it's both. I think it's something you teach, and I think I've got to do a better job of that. And then I think that, uh, <clears throat> you know, that uh, he has to get him there, you know, just uh, – uh, develop and force the habit of putting him there. But, you know, I think, you know, we need to keep reinforcing and coaching it. So, Coach, you mentioned on Saturday, too, that you felt like you guys needed to coach better offensively. Now, could you expound on that and kind of, you know, what, what are you looking to see differently this week from the offensive staff? Uh, the ba biggest thing we got to do as coaches is just coach detail as hard as we can. Coach detail, reinforce detail. <clears throat> insist on detail and you know anytime you start out uh uh early on you know there's going to be some hiccups and bumps in the road and there's going to be stuff that you need to you know address uh, as urgently as possible and as consistently as possible and it's just part of the it's just part of the whole process especially if you're putting in something new and and uh, you don't have too much time to do it and i, and I think you know some of this is going to continue too as as we uh, try to hone our skills and find out who the key guys are. Hey coach, the uh, <clears throat> a lot of lots been made about your comments about possibly calling some players or something like that. I mean, how does that process go about and uh, now that you've had a time to think about that, where are you in that process? I what it, I'm not sure what your question is. Calling some players well, you mentioned that uh, there were some guys needed to find out if they wanted to play here or not. Oh, okay. I, I, I think that I, I think, and this this happens every time you take over a new program. I think we do have a few fence riders, uh, you know, that are are trying to decide whether they're going to commit or they're not going to commit. Uh, um, you know what everybody's doing here, and 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 anytime there's a transition, there's a certain uh, number of guys, and I've been through a number of these transitions. Who are going to do the wait and see thing? Well, I'll see if I like what I see. Well, yeah, it's too bad. I mean, the train rolls on, and so, um, <clears throat> you know, they need to jump on board pretty quick, or the train's going to roll on without them. Ben, 
Mike, not to harp on KJ again, but with kind of what he does and kind of what the defense is giving you in a lot of those sort of five yard, you know, dink and dunks. I mean, how much of this is just a matter of, you know, taking what what's in front of him rather than maybe forcing downfield? Is that, you know, sort of embracing those those short throws? Do you feel like that's kind of what maybe maybe a step in, in the direction for him? Oh, uh, I think it's a I think it's a huge part. And I also think uh, uh, being quicker to decide, uh, <clears throat> you know, where things go. And but it all it's not just KJ It all. You know, everybody's uh efforts feed off on the other you know if we protect him better that's easier for him to do if we uh you know if we're running routes uh, extremely quickly affecting the coverage then that makes things easier to do you know we have to be faster at finishing routes and more determined to finish routes and do them with uh, precision and you know on a typical play we'll go out there and three guys will do it and two won't well if those two don't affect the coverage in the fashion that needs to be affected then you know there's problems for the other three when you were at Texas Tech, I guess, what do you remember about those games and what do you kind of remember about that rivalry and kind of what it brought? Uh, great, exciting matchups. Uh, you know, our stadium, of course, was loaded and fired up. Our stadium developed a tradition where the students would camp out. <clears throat> uh, first, they'd camp out for a night or two before the A&M game. Then it got to where they'd camp out for a whole week. And, uh, you know, and it's not just because they were that loyal of fans. They certainly were loyal fans. But um, <clears throat> let's let's be honest. I mean, if you're in college, it's fun to camp out and, uh, you know, build fires and eat stuff with your friends. And some of these tents had uh, <clears throat> everything from water, water beds to pool tables to televisions that I've never had the pleasure of owning. And, uh, you know, there'd be speakers, there'd be... Uh, music, uh, so it was a heck of a deal. And then, um, you know, somebody would kind of guard the camp uh, during the day while uh, <clears throat> that tent went to class or whatever. And so it was a heck of an event. And <clears throat> so when A&M would get there, I mean, there was like 3,000 people camping in that lot. And they'd elect a mayor too. Sometimes there were two mayors. If it got confused, who was actually the first mayor. Um, and then, uh, but at A&M, A&M playing at A&M's outstanding, um, you know, because there's an incredible number of people. Um, <clears throat> it's one of the louder stadiums. It's got kind of a unique quality to it. Um, yeah, it's just big, bold, uh, big, bold, stark, and loud. And it uh, it really is an environment to play. Um, <clears throat> one time I referred to it as the Carnegie Hall of uh, stadiums, and it kind of is in a lot of ways. So, oh, it's, yeah, yeah. I, great games. It's always exciting to play in him. All right, so good stuff from uh, Coach Leach there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they've got a lot to figure out, and they don't got time to do it because Jimbo Fisher and his Aggie program are coming in hot. They're going to have a lot of confidence coming into Starfield this weekend. Game is at Mississippi State. But uh, obviously the Bulldogs not in a good place at the moment. Texas A&M, this may be uh, – we might have got the – we might have woken up the Aggies here. It took them a couple weeks, but uh, this could finally be the Texas A&M we were thinking we were getting. Now it's going to be the challenge. But don't forget, I, I kind of talked about it a little bit, Mississippi State defense has been playing out of their minds. Can they keep doing that with an offense that is anemic? You know, I mean, it's, it's demoralizing at some point if – you know, they're not even scoring. I said it on the uh, pre on one of the shows this week, but uh, last week was the only 
time. Mike Leach has coached a team. They didn't even score a damn point. So uh, the, the special team scored the safety. So, I mean, that's something to consider. Mississippi State's defense, if they keep playing the way they have been, they're good enough to keep Mississippi State in the game. It's time for Mississippi State's offense to carry the day. And who would have thought that was going to be the case year one under Mike Leach? Everyone thought it would be the opposite. But that's why he was brought in here to fix the offense. He's got to do it here in a hurry. All right, guys, so that's all we got on this one. Like I said, Shane is scheduled to be back on the next one. You can save me from myself here and my ramblings here. But, uh, yeah, thanks for sticking it out here with me. And sorry that it's just a solo pod. I know they're not as enjoyable. But, hey, I hope you got a lot out of this, a lot of good coaching comments here and breaking down all the games. And uh, once Shane gets back on here, well, hopefully we'll get more resolution on this status, the situation down there at Florida and uh, everything that's going on with that. And, of course, we're going to talk more Alabama, Georgia, and all these other matchups. I'm sure there'll be plenty of stuff to talk about. Shane's big three. So a lot to look forward on the next episode. Thanks for sticking it out with me here. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one.